0: The Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at The Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy Chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the cutting wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. Tonight's chat is also brought to you by David Stevers' Raven Rain. Book three in the Johnny De La Rosa thriller series. A hard-charging, hard-boiled detective who enjoys beautiful women and top-shelf bourbon, Johnny De La Rosa's past collides with his future when hired to stop a blackmail scheme against a local celebrity, former pro-football star, turned car dealer, Stan Shelton. He's pressed into a fourth and long, with the clock running out, as his journey to find the truth and clear his client spirals into an abyss of deceit and death. Noir for the 21st Century, Raven Rain, narrated by Bill Lord, comes to audio in October 2020. And now, come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an actor, an award-winning audiobook narrator who has recorded 200 titles, and a voiceover and audiobook narration coach. Crystal Lewis, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you could make it in. Uh, I, I saw a comment not too long ago. It uh, wasn't yesterday, but it was at some point in the recent past where somebody uh, was asking the ubiquitous question, who should I hire for my my audiobook narration coach? And you know a lot of the the regular names showed up, and then I saw your name, and I thought, wait, I know that name. I've I've seen you post online before. I didn't realize that you had a uh, a coaching practice. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind. And uh, at some point, you can come on and come into the speakeasy and tell people all about that.
1: I'd love to. Thanks.
0: Cool. All right. Well, this being a speakeasy, Krista, what are you drinking tonight?
1: You know, Rich. I was prepared for you. I have a cocktail. (laughs) I have a mixology encyclopedia called Death and Co. And I cracked it open last night and I was looking up some fine cocktails.
0: That's great. Death and Company. I got to look that up.
1: Oh, I highly recommend. (laughs) Cool. Um, All sorts of wonderful cocktails in there. However, my tech got out from under me today, so I've spent a large part of my day grappling with my new technology in my upgraded studio. So I went for a beer because (laughs) I've earned it, and it's all I couldn't do. So I'm drinking a Blue Moon Belgian White, which I actually love quite a bit.
0: I I have been in the presence of people uh, several times who have ordered a Blue Moon, and they always speak very highly of it. Uh, I think that's great, though, that you have a, uh, a mixological encyclopedia that always comes in handy. I've, I've got a Death couple of those. Death and Co. Death and Co. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll definitely look for that. I was just looking at a book today that is going to be released, I think, in a month or two by uh, a, a Penguin Random House imprint um, by—oh, now I'm going to space on his name— uh, very famous in the in the uh, cocktail scene, and wrote a seminal book on mixology back in the early two thousands. Uh, D- uh, Dale uh, Degroff, I believe. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I might just have to reach out to Penguin Random House and find out if they have plans for an audiobook for that, because it sounds like it's right up my alley. <laughs>
1: you should do that uh, for sure. Yeah. In fact, just record chapter one and send it to them and say, this is what it would sound like. Yeah. In fact, just record <laughs> chapter one and send it to him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, uh, that might be it. I know that he is a public speaker as well, so they might have plans for him mm. doing it himself. But uh, anyway, uh, always good to have an encyclopedia around. A friend of mine actually got me me another uh, fairly recent book on cocktails that I've made that I've um, used to find recipes for uh, speakeasy interviews many times in the past couple of years. So it's always good to have a book like that around
1: yeah. I was really I was hoping to just um surprise and delight you. And I thought, in light of the pandemic, I would look up something really dark.
2: yeah <laughs> <of> the name <laughs> of the book,
1: but uh, they don't have anything dark in there. just really wildly gorgeous, sometimes complex. and you read them and you think, "Wow, that's gonna work."
0: Mm-hmm, but yeah.
1: I'm gonna have to try slowly my way through them.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that's that's great. Let me know how it goes. Uh-huh. Uh, in the meantime, I am having not really a classic cocktail. It's actually a new cocktail. It's a it's a riff on a very classic cocktail, the Manhattan. My drink tonight is called the Delarosa. And that is in honor of uh, one of the sponsors of the podcast these days, uh, Bill Lord, and his upcoming book, Raven Rain, written by – oh, what's his name again? I've actually uh, – I've got that here. Uh, 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 David Stevers, uh, Raven Rain. It's book three in the Johnny De La Rosa thriller series. Oh. Uh, Bills narrated the first two and after narrating the first couple of books he came up with a cocktail that he based on the character. He That's shared that fabulous. Yeah, he shared that with the author since they've, you know, worked together for quite some time now. And uh, the author liked it so much that he decided to put it in the next book. And, huh. <laughs> uh, and so I'm having a De La Rosa, which is, uh, unfortunately, it calls for bullet bourbon. And I don't have any bullet bourbon right now. But I do have some bullet rye. And that kind of, you know, matches what you would normally use in a Manhattan. And so I figured, that's eh, fine. It's close enough. So, uh, so it's two parts of bullet and one part of uh, sweet vermouth. Uh, garnished, uh, and also several dashes of orange bitters, and I happen Mm -hmm. to like orange bitters, so that's good garnished with a uh, an orange wheel and a Bada Bing cherry. Unfortunately, I don't have any cherries in stock right now. I normally have some kind of brandied cherry or a Luxardo, bottle of Luxardo cherries. And because of the pandemic, I'm not actually going inside Total Wine these days, and they mm. don't have it on their website where you can order it and have it delivered out to your car. So uh, my cocktails have been sadly devoid of cocktail cherries for some time. But uh, in any case, this is a very orange-centered uh, version of a Manhattan. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I'm having tonight. So, uh, Krista, thanks for coming in tonight. Cheers. Cheers. All right. I'm going to have a little sip of this Della Rosa right now. And uh, I can tell you and Bill and his, <laughs> uh, and his author uh, cohort, David Stevers, it's fine. Nice. Great cocktail. All right. So, Krista, I know that you are uh, currently in L.A. Is that where you are from, or uh, are you an L.A. transplant?
1: I'm a transplant. I was born in Astoria, Queens, New York, and then uh, after 20 years in Germany, I came out to L.A. for a holiday and ended up staying.
0: So, wait a minute. So, you were you were born in uh, New York and after yeah. 20 years in Germany. So, wait a minute. You, <laughs> sk- you skipped a lot there.
1: <laughs> I did. I, sort of, I gave you the tweet version. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my mom was German, so we grew up bilingual and um there was a, l- a lot of family in Germany. So, it's sort of a theme with me. I went for a holiday and stayed, just like I did with LA 30 years later. <laughs> went came for a holiday and stayed. So That's yeah. great.
0: What what part of Germany were you in?
1: Um Hamburg and that's my family is, is mostly in Hamburg and I spent most of my time in Berlin working for Deutsche Welle Television. It's an international news broadcaster.
0: Mm. I know that I saw it was either on your website or uh, someplace social media. I think it was your website uh, where it said that you speak German fluently. I do. So that must be from spending so much time there.
1: No, it's from my mom refusing to speak English at home.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Hey, that can and, come in handy. That's yes. that's great being being bilingual. And yeah. and especially if you're fluent and if you've got a family member who is responsible for teaching you who was fluent, um, you know, that's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, she did all the things, including sending us to German schools on Saturdays, which made her wildly unpopular.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm sure that that has come in handy for you uh, in, in in the jobs that you've had. That's, totally. That's great. Um, all right. So then uh, did you go to school out there? You said that you were working in uh, broadcast journalism.
1: Yeah, I was a news reader, Um Deutsche Welle TV, they produce the news in German for um, uh, expats around the world. Uh, they don't broadcast domestically. They broadcast internationally oh, I see. and they broadcast in several languages. So the German news would get translated and then we were called in to voice the or read the news onto these pictures. Um, and I did that for 17 years.
0: Wow. That's, that's quite a, quite a, uh, length of time doing that. So mm-hmm. were you doing it in German or English or something else? In English, English, Do- uh, I see.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. there. I, I, I worked every day with, uh, an absolutely wonderful, intelligent motley crew of expats, Australia, Canada, England, all corners. I mean, Americans, New Zealand, all the English languages we have worked at Deutsche Welle. <laughs>
0: that's, that's great. So I'm sure that you are quite proficient with a whole lot of different accents at this point.
1: You know, I'm. It it is true. I can, and if I get it wrong, I will do it with such authority.
0: <laughs> if you didn't know, hey, you wouldn't know. <laughs> that, that's half the job of an actor is confidence. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So uh, f- so from there, how did you get into voiceover work? Was it just sort mm-hmm. of a natural shift since you were already reading stuff on a regular basis? Or did you actually start doing things like commercials while you were doing that?
1: Uh, I, I got the job at DW because a woman was doing a radio play. And so she cast me in her radio play with a bunch of other women who would become we would go on to become friends and colleagues at Deutsche Welle because Deutsche Welle had just gone 24 hours. So we were doing a radio play. I was bellyaching about being out of work and she said, go check out Deutsche Welle. They're hiring off. I went and I got the job and it just became, I think it just it just became sort of natural to then start freelancing as well. And I got to do really cool things, lots of animation. Berlin became a hub for, Outsourced animation because they could draw on inexpensive and great artists from all over Europe and then they would voice it. They would do the animation or the scratch tracks in Berlin and Mm. then send it back to the States. So I got to do a lot of really cool projects, commercials, you know, all the things. And then what's very, I I also got into museum guides, um, but the European ear is more attuned to the British accent. So Mm, uh, most of my fabulous uh friends and colleagues who were Brits did more of those than I did. But every now and then they wanted um, American.
0: I had no idea that Berlin at some point had become like an animation hub. Is that still the case?
1: I've been here for like eight years, so it's, unfortunately I can't give you a good
2: answer.
0: Been a while, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. That's that's interesting. I know that, you know, animation being as big as it is these days, um, little places have sprung up and all of a sudden more and more work is coming from those. I know that, I believe that that is true in Atlanta and to a smaller extent uh, the Dallas area, but it is not my area of expertise and so nobody quote me on that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was cool. So so you got into voiceover at that point. Uh, when did audiobooks come into the picture?
1: That was just an accident of serendipity and fate. I was in L.A. It was 2011. I was on holiday from DW with every intention of going back to Germany, really just a holiday. And uh, one thing led to another. And suddenly I was looking for a studio in L.A. because I had a German client that was Pardon me, needed me to record something. And I started dialing around. I, I just, you know, Googled or interneted something, studios. And I got a woman on the phone. And before I could get more than five words out of my mouth, she started shouting at me. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. You can ask her to this day. <laughs> Deborah Dion, this one's going out to you with love. She was <laughs> shouting at me. She said, Do you do audiobooks? And somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew not to say, yes, but not really no. So I just kind of hedged and I said, I'd like to. And she said, you must call my husband. You must. And I, and I, but I was still trying to book a studio Because I had this client Mm -hmm. (laughs) who needed me. And I said, yes, but about your studio. She said, oh, call my husband. And she hung up on me.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) This is great. This is great. I can't wait until the next time there's an APAC that I feel comfortable going to when I can go up to Deb Dion and say, (laughs) I want to ask you about Crystal Lewis. Lewis. That's
1: right. (laughs) We've had adventures, Deborah and I. Anyway, her, um, Bob Dion was alive at the time and he answered my email. And uh, within, it was just shocking, within two days, 24 hours. And so I hit my laptop that night, started downloading what I assumed to be audiobook copy, because I had really, literally never done this before in my life, Mm -hmm. and practiced a couple times. I had some nonfiction. I had some fiction. I drove over to Dion. They were in Tarzana. I met Bob. After it was Jorge. Jorge was. They were all. It was the. You know the their main crew at the time. And Jorge recorded my audition. Bob popped in, and then, I mean this house in Tarzana was an absolute wonder. It was <laughs> every studio was named for a character in the Tarzan. Oh my story. gosh, that's yes, great. Yes, there was great. Jane and Tarzan and what was the chimpanzee boy and I. So Bob takes me out of. The, boy or chimpanzee, and he pulls me out and he says, well, I like her. And Deb comes and she said, great. And then she made us all lunch. I mean, they had lunch <laughs> together. Everybody had lunch. And I met all their um, narrators. I met Dan Warren there, who's one of their you know, longtime narrators. I met him there. And Deb fed us and made us all laugh and smile. And and that was my introduction to the world of audiobooks. It was Deborah Dion.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I have had nothing but good experiences um, with, with Deb and with Dion in general. Um, the first time I met Deb was at APAC, and it was mm-hmm. when this podcast was just, a, uh, just an idea. Hadn't started it yet. And uh, so I talked to her, and she said, oh, this is the person you need to talk to. And it wasn't until the next time I saw her a year later when I brought up the possibility of her being on the show again. And she said, nope, never. That is not me but, but I work with uh-huh. all these fantastic people who would be great for what you're doing. So that was why Philip Miller was one of my, uh, one of my first uh, guests here in the speakeasy. In any case, uh, every dealing that I've had both in person and with a couple of books, the, a couple of, um, stories in a couple of anthologies that I've done with Dion have been fantastic. Everybody that I've worked with, they're, uh, nicest people couldn't, couldn't, yeah. couldn't say, uh, couldn't couldn't think of anything, um, bad to say about any of them. So, uh, that's, that's great here in that story that that was how you got into audiobooks.
1: It is. And it's also how I stayed. I remember, um, literally out of the blue, out of the blue, Bob had passed. Deb and I were, we were, you know, acquaintances, really, uh, c- collegial acquaintances. Um, but I really felt for her. It was a, that was a hard time. Mm-hmm. And one day she texted me. Out of the blue, she just wrote two words. I'll never for- forget it. Keep pushing,
0: hmm.
1: and that's it. That made my career. That advice.
0: That's great. So, so that was how you started in audiobooks. But you yeah. just said that you had every intention of going back to Germany. So, yeah. um, so how did you then decide? Well, here I am in LA. I'm staying here. I'm not following through with my plan. I'm going to quit the job that I had. I'm just going to live in LA.
1: My boyfriend at the time, um, he's a German and he really liked LA. He really, really, I think he could see himself moving here in a heartbeat. Mm. He has his own company in Europe, in Germany. Uh, We met when I was, you know, working at Deutsche Welle in Berlin and he was working all over Europe. And, um, so I was just babbling on and on and on about how much fun I was having, and my father had gifted me this really fun voiceover class, and I had been working in as a newsreader and features reader and documentary and blah, 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 for so many years, but I had never done um, a class in the United States, and it was just so fun to be talking with other people about all these different things and learning new stuff. And he said, it sounds like you kind of want to stay. And it was just one of those moments where you literally feel the hand of, I don't know, God, destiny, fate, your life, your soul. Literally the window goes flying open and a door behind you starts to close. And all I thought at that moment was, if I don't say no, everything will change. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I didn't say no even though that really literally had never crossed my mind. It had never once crossed my mind. I had my plane ticket. I was on my way home back to Germany. I didn't say no, and everything changed. And he was really supportive. I could not at all have done any of it without him because he you know, he kept me afloat and kept a roof over my head for the entire time that it took me to uh, get started and start earning my own money because that took a while. LA oh, was yeah, it. LA was you know Hi, who are you? Yeah, yeah. take a number. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that took some time.
0: Well what a what a, what a great story. I was just talking to a friend of mine earlier today about a situation that they're in and how difficult everything is right now for oh so many reasons. And um and it is really difficult to make those choices and more and more difficult the older you get so i'm I'm really glad that it that that came at a time when I mean, I assume that everything is working out for you now. Uh, so so I'm really glad that that came at a time when it felt like I can do this and see what happens,
1: yeah. I have learned so much about myself, and one thing I learned was that I'm really an emotional like i my my prompts are emotional. they're not intellectual and truth be told, he and I really should have had a much longer conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> about uh, money and investment. And, you know, is there ever a moment where we say, OK, we've tried now, let's that's it. Mm-hmm. We gave it our all. Or, uh, you know, do we keep our place in Berlin or or how, uh, how do we. So we did not because both of us, I, I think, are very alike like that. We're impulsive and I don't know. I guess kind of gamblers, but mm. without, but not in a negative sense. Like it's not like it was a conscious, ah, screw it. I'm just going to give it a go.
2: Right. We just right.
1: jumped, he, we're impulsive like that. And because it took so long and because it was so much harder than I expected to change my voice print. So I came into this town uh, with the voice print of a 1980s news anchor. And people were listening to me and <laughs> my my VO coach, my father couldn't understand it. I was out every night training. I trained nonstop for seven years. I'm not kidding. I still train, but I trained every day because the first thing I learned was that the thing that I had counted on for the last twenty years of my life to keep the lights on was not working for me in LA.
0: Yeah, I have I have heard from so many people that if you're in radio or television you think people think that's a natural stepping stone and
1: it is not <laughs> yeah so as
0: so as a as a stepping stone in 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 terms of understanding what it's like to talk into a microphone yeah okay but i have heard from so many people that everything that you learn in radio and tv you have to unlearn
1: it is actually the thing that it made me completely and utterly ready for was the psychological the psychological strain of audiobooks, right? The the kind of many hours at the microphone because I did shift work in the news, right? Mm, we would right. get there at three in the afternoon and leave at one in the morning and and do all these shows every two hours. So the that kind of focus over many hours, that was a muscle I already had. But you're absolutely right. I had to completely and utterly deconstruct my voice print. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend it to a soul because
0: it was the (laughs) hardest
1: thing I never thought I would have to do.
0: Yeah, but look what happened. You did it and and it it. worked out great. And there are other people who I know who have been in radio and, and who have gone through that difficult process and come out really happy on the other side.
1: Oh, yeah. Now I'm really grateful. I mean, in terms of the rewards that it has all that training, I mean, it's it's completely and utterly feeds my audiobook narration as well, Mm -hmm. right? So, because I I, I definitely try to not drive the book with my cadence. Mm -hmm. I want want the author to shimmer through. I want their cadence to come through. And I don't know that I'm successful yet 100% of the time, but it's definitely where I'm headed all of the time.
0: Sure. And I don't know, from my experience, maybe you know, somebody who's been at this for a thousand books would say differently. I kind of doubt it, but, um, from my experience, I'm never going to be a hundred percent right at this. I mean, I'm hopefully going to continue to learn something with every book and with mm-hmm. every coaching session that that I have and, um, continue to improve, you know, who's, who's to say that anybody can ever hit a hundred percent. Just try.
1: Yeah, no, I had this, I had this so Scott Brick is famous for his um, for his teaching for his saying that right around book number fifty he started to feel like oh I think I kind of know what I'm doing ish
2: mm-hmm.
1: right and I I was in the booth and it was just very funny I suddenly I noticed there was it was just a tiny bit less difficult there was just a little bit it was just a little easier and in that moment I realized I had reached sort of like It's like a video games, you know, I reached sort of mastery level one Mm -hmm. point zero. And in that moment, I was like, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah, I kind of know what I'm doing ish. And then I got scared because I realized that now I had this base, the structure that I could rely on. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And now my next challenge was to let it go and to just follow. Right now you let the muse in. And that's what that's what moves you into the artistry part
2: mm-hmm. of
1: audiobook narration. I have and I have the privilege of teaching and um it really is a blessing. It A, it's saving my farking life during this
2: <laughs> <farking> <laughs> pandemic.
1: Sorry, I'm trying not to swear. I'm such a potty mouth and Oh no, I that's simply, not a problem I, here. Thanks. Well, I have kids, you know. These gorgeous kids—they're so—they come onto my class, and I'm like, I need a plan B for my potty mouth. So I'm just really working on that. But I started teaching. um, Anyway, I've been teaching for a couple of years, and I hear what I say to my students, and half of them are my friends now. Who am I kidding? But and (laughs) I hear what I'm. Banging on at them about. And I'm like, Chris, take a breath, back up, mm-hmm. connect, move forward, make meaning from the beginning. And it's, you know, so that teaches me too. It's so there's no end to mastery. That is something I learned. And that scares the heck out of me, but it really is true.
0: Yeah, it it really is. And and I know what you mean about, well, now I've got a base and um, you, you kind of have to look at it and say, well, now that I've got this base, all right, I'll just coast on that. Well, you can. <laughs> you can you, <laughs> right, you, you can. can. Um, maybe not the best career move, maybe not the best personal move, but people make different choices for different reasons. Um, I think that it's always better to continue to improve. And I, I do kind of uh, well, this past year, uh, maybe a little bit before that, I definitely felt like I kind of hit this little plateau. And I realized that it is a plateau that's at like 50 feet above sea level on this mountain that goes to mm. 10,000 feet. But it's this little plateau. And it's like, yeah, I, I totally get that, that quote from Scott Brick. I kind of feel like I know a little bit about what I'm doing now. Mm. And uh, my goal at this point, uh, much like you were describing, is to move forward from that point rather than stay there. So, um, so that's good. Well, so you, you said you've been teaching for a couple of years. So how did, how did it come about that you decided, um, I'm at a point where I feel confident. I feel comfortable. I feel like I can help people do better in what it is that I'm doing. And so I'm going to put myself out there as a coach.
1: I was taking, I've been taking classes from some of really great teachers in LA for commercial VO, promo trailer, commercial VO, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I moved from teacher to teacher. You know, I would learn essentially what they had to teach me, and then I would move on. And I settled at some point uh, with Mick Wingert. Mick Wingert is a phenomenal voice actor. Um, He's an award-winning, phenomenal video game and animation actor. He's Jack Black when Jack Black is not Jack Black for the (laughs) Emmy Award-winning TV, you know, the Panda cartoons. Mm -hmm. And he's Iron Man and just fabulous. So I was in his class and I'm sure you've had that experience. You know, you just meet somebody and they they get you and they they say that he just spoke me. He spoke my language and slowly but surely, thanks to his tutelage, I began to be able to really shift. So all the learning I had done with other teachers plus him in his class regularly, I began to attain conversational, which was the hardest thing I'd ever tried to do Yeah, and I took his class for so long what ended up happening was in the Friday we had this Friday morning workout with all these people who would come all the time the same people and Mick and I we noticed that he and I would both always give the same note or if we didn't give the same note to the person working behind the mic because everybody was encouraged to give a note as well um, we would give diametrically opposed notes and finally one day he turned to me and he said I want to do a nighttime class. Would you like to teach it? Wow. Yeah. So I kind of learned my way into his teaching respect. (laughs) And, um, I guess I started teaching there without knowing I was doing it. And then I did it and I just said, yes, I said, absolutely. Yes. And so I did that. I, I, I had also taught, um, Tish Hicks of the VO Dojo here in L.A., She had um, I had gone to one of her webinars at one of her Tuesday night fight clubs, which is this great opportunity. You get in front of a gatekeeper, and you do it like a competition audition. Hmm. And everybody gets notes, and then the person there says they would hire who They, they say who they would hire for that uh, job, and they say why. So all the participants get to really experience a wide uh, array of reads and then hear this person's notes and their critique and it was really constructive and great great, and when tish heard me she approached me and she said you you're going to teach for me so somehow so between tish and my experience with mick um and then when the pandemic hit and we you know everything went online um that was sort of the final last separation out of mick's studio because he ultimately closed his studios as well because he went online too mm-hmm. for teaching and work and um so yeah now it's me and I do a I do commercial voiceover on Mondays and audiobook narration on Wednesdays
0: That's fantastic. Um it really says something when it's that you are a student and uh, you're kind of rising up in the estimation of of the teacher and then they want you to carry on the work that the that they're doing. Um, yeah, special. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Do you do a lot of commercial work at this point?
1: No, I do a lot of corporate narration and explainer uh, and e-learning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, uh, I work for studios in Europe. I just did a job for a studio in Dubai. That was different. There's, that's an 11 hour time zone, rich <laughs> difference. <Yeah. laughs> I got up at 4am, but I was delighted because I'm determined to, um, Really curate an international client base.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how does that that uh, makes me wonder? How does your business break down in terms of what percentage of your time you're spending on audiobooks, uh, on corporate narration, e-learning stuff like that? Have you um, run the numbers on that to to see where all the time is being spent?
1: I would say no. I haven't done a technical run the numbers, but I would say ninety percent is audiobooks and ten percent is the is the other stuff. And that is what I'm trying to now grow. So I, I would like to make it 50, 50 oh. or 60, 40.
2: Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I'm really, I'm looking for diversity actually. I, I've been doing audiobooks literally literally nonstop since 2014, 2015, like literally non-stop. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I need, I need to shake it up.
0: No, I would I... like to shake it up. I totally understand. I'm going through the same thing right now and very slowly moving, trying to move into a couple of other areas. And uh, audiobooks are great, and I will continue to do a lot of audiobooks, I'm sure. Um, But it is the kind of thing where there are a number of good reasons for diversifying in any business. Um, the, The question for any one given business is, how much do you want to diversify and what are your what are your goals by doing that and for some people it doesn't make for some businesses it doesn't make sense don't diversify you you do great right. in this area continue right. to do great in that one area you know be the best that's that's great for a lot of other businesses it's better to diversify some for some businesses who try you diversify into all kinds of different things and then you find out Uh, I took on too much. And so you don't want to go that far. Uh, So it's going to be different for everybody. But I know that for me, I would, um, I think that for me, the right move is to definitely do a little bit, at least, of diversification. So I can certainly understand that in anybody's case.
1: Yeah. And it's also good for the soul. I mean, Deborah Dion, um, we, I, since I ended up working for her as the German language publisher at Dion for a period of two years and we traveled, she took me to Europe for some book fairs. So we've had a chance to get to know each other. And she, one morning over breakfast, she looked right at me and she said, all right, just tell me the truth. <laughs> if, if you didn't have to do audiobooks anymore, would you? And she saw it in my face before I even said it. She said, that's what I thought. Because yes, of course I would. And I didn't realize until she asked me that, that as challenging as it is, and it is challenging sometimes, daunting and mind-numbingly hard. I do—I don't know what kind of books you're blessed with, but I—I have frequently done extremely complicated nonfiction, and I'm not belly aching. I know many narrators do this topic, and it's all—you know—topics are there are some topics that are harder than others. Mm-hmm. But with the World War II nonfiction, um, Holocaust based mm. or stuff like that, because I speak German. So mm-hmm. this has been kind of I wouldn't say it's my superpower, but it's certainly where publishers sometimes gravitate because they know I can uh, do the language thing mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that I can get the the German right. And then the books turn out to be like 85 percent Russian and Polish. <laughs> and I'm, I'm scrambling just like everybody else. Right. But that's OK. Um but so they can be really challenging. And um, but I looked at her and I just thought, you know, this is the job that some part of me was getting prepared for my entire life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's great when you can feel that.
1: Yeah, it's rare, so I'm yeah. having it right now.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yay! <laughs> so, so you've done a lot of nonfiction. I also saw when I looked you yeah. up on Audible, you've done a lot of different types of books. Uh, yeah. Do you do you feel like you have a specialty or a niche within audiobooks, or is there something that you prefer over over something else that you would rather spend more time on, or are you just happier doing everything? I you you asked or you you said that you didn't know what type of stuff that I've been blessed with. I've I've done, you know, half nonfiction, half fiction, some romance, some science fiction, some science fiction romance, a um, bunch of nonfiction on different topics. Um, I, I love the diversity, but I know that some people really love something specific and other people end up doing something very specific, even if it's not something that they really love. So how do you feel about the books that, you're, that you generally do?
1: Well, um, because I speak German, uh, that's what broke me into the big publishers, essentially. Um, <clears throat> the YA I did, uh, Wolf by Wolf and Blood for Blood a series, they both took in earphones. And I got it specifically because a, a narrator friend recommended me to a publisher and said, Krista speaks German, try her. Uh, so it, they come to me, those books come to me. And the Holocaust and World War II nonfiction I mean, to be quite honest, there were there was a, a, a long moment, a very long, deep, dark moment when I considered uh, requesting not getting those anymore because they took such a toll
2: mm-hmm.
1: psychologically. One book took me a year to recover from. It was 33 hours about the only concentration camp built for women, Ravensbrück. And that book, I had to take medication, to be quite honest. I it was very hard to process the information.
0: No doubt. Yeah
1: it was tough. But then I met somebody at a car dealership while I was looking into leasing a new electric vehicle. And he happened to ask me as he's trying to like, you know, sell me this lease. He said, what do you do? And I said, I narrate audiobooks. Right now I'm narrating a lot of World War II nonfiction. And in that moment, the air changed and he stopped selling me a car. And he said, oh, that's all we ever talk about at home. My mom and my two aunts are survivors, Wow, and within ten minutes, I was sobbing. He was crying. He stood up and he thanked me for voicing these stories. And so I wrote to the proofers at Tantor who had been accompanying me on this journey, right? I, mm. I wasn't I'm not alone in this. there are There's a whole team of people who, have to proof these stories and listen to every word, maybe not once, but eight times, Mm -hmm. and then engineer and master them. And so there's a lot of people that go into these very big, big books. And I wrote and I told them the story. And um, one of the proofers got back to me and she said, I'm so glad you told me that. She said, to be honest, these are the hardest ones to do and not my favorite. And I said, I know. I said, I was going to ask that I not do them anymore, but now that I've met this guy, I it's the one thing I can do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can lend my voice to truth.
0: What a great story what a, what a great story about you know something that that you share that nobody would ever have guessed that these two mm-hmm. people could possibly have in common ever. and um, and certainly not something that you would expect to happen on a, on a in a car dealership when you're looking to, to get a car. It was
1: extraordinary. His whole family worked to educate people in the United States, they traveled from museum to museum. They taught people how to comprehend the Holocaust.
0: Wow. It was amazing. I i hope they're still doing it. I just saw an uh, article about the fact that something like 70%, 75% of the, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like 75% of the youth in this country have no idea that there were, you know, X number of people slaughtered back, during the Holocaust, which I find incredibly troubling, that, that it they're... is
1: shocking that anybody doesn't know about it, or yeah. that anybody doesn't believe in it. And um, a, uh, an acquaintance of mine also posted on Facebook an actual breakdown of that survey. So the amount of people that were surveyed, mm-hmm. and so they're big numbers, but they only served, you know, uh, surveyed point zero 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 something mm-hmm. of the entire population of the United States. Nonetheless I've had I've sat across from people who absolutely told me to my face that it did not happen yeah. never happened was complete hoo ha and um
0: hard hard to take
1: yeah and yeah. extraordinary because in that moment you never have the right thing to say yeah. <laughs> to like sort them out you right. just I don't ever you, know you, what to say in that you moment You think of
0: it like 6 hours later when your brain has settled down
1: right I'm like yeah. I narrated at least Fourteen of those books, I could have come up with something coherent.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Great, great experience though. So yeah. that, so that's something that you sort of fell into, and that, uh, and that you've done. Is there anything else, uh, or, or is there anything that you wouldn't record? Is there anything that you have turned down for specific reasons, or that you would turn down if it came to you?
1: Um, I do romance now under a pseudonym, Pippa Jane, and I. I love it. It's really fun. That's romance. so funny
0: because I did not New know adult. that until just now, and yet yeah. I have seen that name. And yeah. I, I don't remember where, but I have seen that name, Pippa Jane.
1: Well, Pippa Jane has, she broke the internet a year ago with this, a fabulous book, and that it's just really liked by romance fans, and also um I won a sultry listeners award in erotica from fans who just love my author Red Phoenix
0: what, what was the book that you're talking about that uh that the been... series
1: is um Breeze submission and I think we won the award for and um, please forgive me red but I think I can't remember if we won the b- award for I think it was a box set that she had, had released. So it was sort of an odd number. I think it was the box set four to seven. And, and for some reason that made it through to the sultry listeners uh, voting and we won in erotica and that's cool. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is really cool. And, um, uh, that hussy, I knew she'd make it big before <laughs> I did. <laughs> that's great. So yeah, there that's are, great. there are lines in the sand and I think any romance, Uh, or we call it new adult now, or contemporary romance, you know, we all have our lines in the sand. And, you know, I will not participate in anything non-consensual, or if children are involved, or pets are hurt or Mm. this is going to be weird, but no cannibalism. I just, (laughs) I am not the girl to narrate Silence of the Lambs. I am not your narrator. So that's that's my line in the sand. It's funny (laughs) that you had
0: mentioned pets. Um, there was one book that I narrated, uh, where a pet, it's not like intentional torture, but it was the intentional killing of somebody's animal to specifically get to that person. And I got to tell you, i Barely made it. through. I had already read the book, of course, and I knew that scene was coming. And as I was doing it, uh, that's that's one of the things for me that is. It's. I wouldn't say that it's a line in the sand for me, but um, holy cow, that's that's difficult. And I know that there are a lot of things that are difficult for different people and different you know, everybody has different experiences getting to where they are. And so something's going to be difficult for somebody and somebody else is going to say, what's the problem? Uh, Um, but that for me, Ooh, that was, that was tough.
1: I believe you. I have to say though, I've had some great experiences. There was a moment where, you know, when I prepped the book, it seemed like part of the story. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a a non-consensual, there was a rape scene, but because of this woman's, uh, the character that I was um, narrating, it was first person point of view. So she was experiencing it telepathically because she was connected to the victim and they were looking for the victim.
2: Mm.
1: By the time I finished narrating that story, uh, I have to say it was... one of the most brutal experiences because you went through it as a listener, as the narrator, you went through it like on seven different levels mm-hmm. as the narrator, as the character, as the victim, et cetera. So I wrote to the publisher and I said, because the book really wasn't the book wasn't about that scene per se.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a two book series and it was about this woman's journey through Oklahoma and oh, it was a big journey. But this one scene was so harsh that I wrote to the publisher and just to give the proofer a heads up. And I said, hey, this scene really leaps out and it takes you completely unaware. So I just want to know, want you to know on page, whatever it was, there's this highly intense uh, assault. Mm -hmm. And is there some way we could let the readers know Mm. And she was so kind. She wrote back and she said, "Normally, Krista." And I said, "Oh, I get it. Normally, that's supposed to come on the print copy, right? They're supposed to say, you know, explicit content or warn people, right, that there's potentially triggering material." Right. But you know, they did it on Audible now. If you look up that book, that just says, you know, for mature themes, readers under eighteen years, you know, all that stuff. They did the whole thing, and I was so grateful because, a, they took me seriously,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and b. I never once thought, you know, I can't do the rest of the book because it wasn't about that. It wasn't the book anyway. You know, right. it was it was yeah. it was part of the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um you know, it's good to be heard. And, yeah. and I I feel like in the in this in our in our world of audiobook narrators, people listen. They they'll hear you out. They No, won't. I
0: I agree. I agree. I I've, I've had a couple of those scenes as well where uh, one of them was early on in my career where I Hadn't read the entire book. Um, I did read the entire book before I narrated it, but I hadn't read the entire book when I accepted the the offer, mm. and I came across something and thought, really. Mm. But at that point, I felt like, well, I'm committed. Of of course, I could have backed out. I think that that would have been okay. But I, I didn't feel good about doing it at that point. Not mm. sure what I would decide at this point. Um, things shift. You know, you you go through this this. Um, career and you run across things that you never would have imagined. You're like, I'm reading books. What's the big deal? Right. And, and then you start reading them and you, and you realize there are a lot of big deals. There are a lot of potential big deals. It's huge. Yeah. and, And there are things that you have to make decisions on. And you might think you know exactly what you would do, but all of a sudden you get in that position and now you're dealing with a big publisher or you're dealing with an mm-hmm. author who you've dealt with before or th- this scene is not exactly like what you object to, but kind of like what you object to. Yeah. So there's there's all these gray areas. Um, and so you never know exactly what you're going to do. And in that case, I just went through that. I felt like I had made the commitment. In another case, I will say that it's, it's I think it's more along the lines of what you're describing where… It was a brutal scene and it was difficult to get through, but it made perfect sense in the context of the story and it, and it really um, described how some of the characters got to where they were later. Um, and so I, I thought that it was very important, uh, but, but every situation is different and I don't fault anybody at any time in their career for saying, I'm not going to do that.
1: I think it's also it, you know people say the eyes are the window to the soul. And <laughs> I now think it's your voice as well, or somehow this is where our souls come through, and we're creating something. When mm-hmm. you narrate an audiobook, you're you're establish you're creating a world inside somebody's mind. It's a I mean, maybe a sacred thing is is going too far, but it's certainly intimate. Mm-hmm. and it's certainly personal. And if I am sharing words, stories, emotions, creating things that I would never in my in real life ever wish upon anyone, Mm -hmm. whether I like them or not, then what am I doing here? And because I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like on a good day, (laughs) best case scenario, (laughs) um, I'm. I put my humanity in the service of my narration. Whatever that means. You know, I I use technique and I bang away at technique with all my poor students. I'm always banging away at technique, 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 (laughs) technique, technique. technique. Because, you know, one day, some days, you just can't offer up your humanity on the altar of God's love. You just can't always do that Mm -hmm. because you're tired or there's a pandemic or, you know, etc. So have a technique to fall back on. But nine times out of ten... I'm at least aware of my humanity. And so, for example, um, a group of us gal, romance narrators, we're learning to, um, we search the PDF, right? We have trigger words that we know will lead to the scene that we don't want to narrate. So if the publisher says, do you want to do this book, XYZ uh, title, um, uh, those of us who work with pseudonyms and work in erotica or romance, you know, we'll search that manuscript just to make sure. We're not going to run into those, you know, potentially awkward, uncomfortable or, you know, just something that is not our jam because, you know, there are other narrators for whom that's not an issue. They have, you know, other things they're concerned about and Mm -hmm. other things they don't want to do. So we search for them now you know, and I'll, I'll search for eating. <laughs> he took out his knife
0: <laughs> slice,
1: you know, because I just said, it's really not something I want to be surprised by. That's and, great. um,
0: that's yeah, I, I definitely haven't heard that before in the speakeasy, <laughs> but it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, so that's a, that's a good segue into coaching. So, mm-hmm. uh, you said that you hammer away on technique. What, what else can you tell me about your, uh, your, co- your approach to coaching when it comes to audiobook narration?
1: Well, I have to do it in with alliteration because otherwise, I, I'm just my synapses are like So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, it's about so audiobook narration and and an audiobook narrator today stepping into the market today needs to you know master several big pieces going forward. Your tech, right? Uh, some people who are entering the audiobook market today, they're like where do I plug in the microphone
2: mm-hmm. yeah, because they're coming from on camera. Yeah. They're
1: coming from on camera. They're at home. They have no work, et cetera. Okay. That's all fine. But you know, so we all have our tech struggles as I have today and I've been doing this since 2012 on my own. Um, so your tech and then there's your technique and, and then there's talent, which I never ever, you know, people bring what they bring to the table and sometimes they just bring longing to the table. And with then we just work on technique, and then their longing blossoms into if they have tenacity. So that's the other one. Mm. So it's tech, technique, tenacity. And um, those are the kind of things that, that those are that's where I sort of that's what I anchor as a coach, and then I teach a few very specific skill sets. Um, what I'm really teaching, I think the overarching thing that I'm teaching my students is how to listen because we're all at home alone and we have to know what we're listening for. Am I on the operative word? Is my cadence drowning out the story? Am I in lockstep with my heartbeat? So this whole thing is going ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And how do you teach that? Mm -hmm. So that's why I love the workout. I love that a couple people get together on the Zoom. It's not in person right now, unfortunately, but, you know, thanks to the Zoom, I've met people from all over the United States. And I teach something called narrator neutral, which is the center of the narration, right? It's the Switzerland. (laughs) It's where you start. It's where you can always return if you get lost. It's (laughs) It's the middle road of your narration. Because I try to teach my students to pull themselves out and let the author through, And I also teach them how to differentiate character with the five P's, point of view, prototype, placement, pitch, pacing. And um, then we work on nuance and tone and creating meaning from the beginning. You know, a lot of people say a lot of words because you're going to figure it out by the end. And if you don't figure it out by the end, I'll tell you in another way. That is not (laughs) how authors write. They write with an economy that we do not speak with, and they use every word very carefully. And I, I think that seed was planted when I was reading, when I first got here, I, I read a lot, and I listened to a lot of people. And I was reading Paul Allen Rubin's blog a lot, and he hammered away at me and all of us that every word matters. Mm. I mean, you can't go crazy and activate every single word. You have to know, you know, where your through lines are, what's the arc of the story, what's the author's arc, what's the character's arc, what's why did the author do this? What is this character doing here at this moment in time? Mm-hmm. Right? What's the plot point, cetera? But every word matters and I began to this thing I call make meaning from the very first word. And suddenly that flipped the script and instead of sort of hypnotizing each other, we all began to bring copy books alive in a very unique and special way i was interviewed i'll finish with this i was interviewed by audiophile because i had oddly there was a rift in the time-space continuum and i (laughs) won three earphones within like a 30-day period and everybody freaked out well they're still freaking out about it (laughs) literally they still talk about it so robin sent in Interviewer my way, and she said to me, She said, I've read, I've listened to three of those three books and they were all so different. And I didn't get it until years later, and I realized, and I said to her at the time, Yeah, but they're all different authors. Mm. And that's when I understood there are narrators who drive the story, right? That you know what you're gonna get in a sense, right? You pick up this one book because it's narrated by your favorite narrator, and you know, you're enveloped in their storytelling. And and I see it as like a spectrum. And then there are other narrators, or this is where I'm aiming for, where you don't know what you're going to get because I'm aiming for the authors, I don't know, unfolding the song. I call it the song, really, the, mm-hmm. the cadence of the song of the author. And, you know, both are valid and gorgeous and delightful and wonderful experiences, hopefully. But um, that's what I'm aiming for. So I, 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 I think I'm trying to teach nuance and how to listen for the author at the end of the day.
0: I think that's fantastic because I think that nuance is all but dead in 2020. Um, and and I think that's (laughs)
1: certainly in our political discourse. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I I think that that's really unfortunate. Um, there it's so difficult to be nuanced in 140, 280 characters. Um, you know, the, the way things have gone, it just seems like people and, and I, uh, myself in this category, I'm, I'm having so much difficulty lately staying focused on things for more than a couple of minutes. And um, so several people have, uh, of course, this is going to be an out-of-date comment if somebody listens to this five years from now, but somebody, uh, several friends have commented on uh, The Social Dilemma, a movie on Netflix, which is about social media. And I'm planning on watching it. I'm, I'm really not sure how exactly to deal with it, other than what a friend of mine just posted today, saying I'm gonna take a step away from social media and maybe just delete them all. I just can't do this anymore, and and I get it because it's um, it's it, it makes it so hard to focus on things. Uh, the 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 whole vibe of how these things work make it difficult to focus on things, and I think it just kills nuance. and um, I think that's so important in in the work that we do.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I just, I, but for me right now, if I shut down social media, <laughs> I've been pandemicking alone <laughs> since January. Mm-hmm. I think I would I go right around the bend. So. And
0: and, and that's hear. the reason that I haven't yet. I, I have yeah. taken a couple of breaks, but um, uh-huh. that's, that's, that's also my dilemma at this point. So in yeah. any case, so when yeah. you're not on social media and when yeah. you're not narrating and when you're yeah. not uh, coaching, what are you doing?
1: At the moment, I have been looking for where to move next actually.
0: No kidding, uh, you're going to move out of uh, LA?
1: Well, it's it's a thought, to be honest, I uh, you know with the all the climate stuff going on and mm. the fires and once we all ended up inside. So, you know, I'm blessed. There I, there's no two ways I I'm not even allowed to complain. I mean, there are so many people right now who cannot work, Mm -hmm. but I was, you know, fortunate enough to be able, my work is at home, but all the things that I used to do to ameliorate the isolation are now, you know, shut down for a while, who knows how long. And then with the air quality, et cetera, et cetera, and the fires, and I began to really evaluate the cost of living in LA. LA is very expensive, Mm -hmm. Even when you have nothing to spend it on, (laughs) it literally costs thousands and thousands of dollars just to inhale and exhale in this town. And, um, so uh, a friend of mine was house hunting and I began to really start to embrace the idea of moving. And so I am looking, I'm, and so that's one thing I do. I look, and as I said, I'm trying to diversify and I'm using my German. I'm reaching out to, uh, European studios, Europe-based studios.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. So I've been right now, I'm very focused on stabilizing myself financially and asking myself because VO, Rich, I'm sure, you know, you've you, you're aware as well. Um, once everybody went home, it's it's a huge question yep. if voiceover will ever refit itself into the former paradigm.
2: I
0: I'm not, I agree. Yeah. And, so and it's I'd,
1: not that studios are gonna shut down, but with all video games having to send their actors home and sending out pamphlets, manuals of how to set up your studio, mm-hmm. A, they've spared themselves enormous overhead, right? Mm-hmm. Renting out the studio.
2: Yep.
1: And if they somehow figure it out how to do it, it's really hard to Foresee with any reliability that it will even matter to be in LA anymore I, as a voice actor.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, d- I don't think that voiceover, I don't think that things will ever be the way that they were. I In many ways, I don't think that's a bad thing. In some ways, I wonder if it will be a bad thing in terms of the independent studios that have to close. Um, but, uh, I don't think it will ever be exactly as it was, um, big, big shift happening. Um, so I, I completely get that. Uh, in terms of moving, I would certainly, uh, say that Tucson is a great place, lots (laughs) to offer here. I will also say that since you mentioned climate issues, yeah. I have big concerns about living in a very hot desert Our July was the hottest month on record in 125 years of keeping records in Tucson that record was quickly broken by August and uh, I don't really see that changing anytime soon I'm I question whether or not I will not only be living here but be able to live here 20 years from now um, I
1: have been reading uh, very in-depth climate forecasts.
0: Mm. Um,
1: And that is what I also spend my time on. So it's not exactly cheery, Yeah. but, um, (laughs) the thought is now, uh, so I'm looking at two places in particular with a third, maybe, but I'm, so I'm looking at, um, Asheville, North Carolina. Mm. I have friends in the East and Asheville kind of popped on my screen. And I'm also looking at Delaware. Delaware might be a no, no, because of storms and the, and the, uh, proximity to the ocean, but there's a lot about Delaware that speaks to me at, from this far away. I, huh. I spent a, many years in New Jersey, so I'm, uh, I miss the time zone, to mm-hmm. be honest. I miss yeah. seasons. And, um, a girlfriend of mine lives right across the way in Pittman, New Jersey. So, and you know, the publishers are on the East coast. Oh yeah. Many, there's, many, if not the yes, most. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot to, lure me there and Asheville looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And I've had lots of discussions about, um, politics and, you know, I think, uh, one girlfriend of mine, you know, I sent her this whole big, long climate breakdown and she, she just wrote back, she's like, that's dark. Do you have to go there for like 10 or 20 years? Maybe you'll move in 10 years. And I thought, you know, she's right. I have to stop being such a nervous Nelly. You know, we, we you have to take a little bit of risk with you. You can't avoid it all. But frankly, and, fire and is something. Moment. Yeah, you can't escape fire. You cannot. Nope. Snow, you can manage. You can dig yourself out of. But fire is a, especially here right now, you know, those electrical thunderstorms that mm, yeah. erupted they were um, extraordinary, yeah. And it's the air quality has been so bad outside yeah. that even Apple in the iPhone update, they now have an air quality index in color on the new update. So you're like, okay, not going out. Well, it's funny, <laughs> I
0: had not noticed that. Yeah, yeah, lot, lot going on. Yeah,
1: there is, yeah. there is absolutely.
0: Well, that I, I really appreciate you um, describing how, you, how you're looking at coaching, uh, alliterative or not. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's great. And that's exactly the kind of thing that people want to hear is, you know, if I decide to work with somebody, how is it that they're going to help me? I, I see this a lot from new narrators is, well, everybody's telling me to coach, but who do I coach with? And one of my primary goals here in the speakeasy is to introduce people to coaches and to introduce them to how it is that they, that they work in this space and, uh, and try to help people along. So, uh, so great hearing that. Brilliant. I'm glad. Yeah. So, Krista, this has been fantastic. Where can people find you if they're looking for you online?
1: Oh, they can find me at C H R I S T A L E W I S C-H-R-I-S-T-A-L-E-W-I-S.com. It's my commercial voiceover website. My audiobooks are at com. but on the commercial uh, VO website is also Boot Camp. <laughs> mm. Boot Camp, and that's where you can sign up for the online Um, audiobook narration masterclass or privates or commercial VO. And I just want to say that for the duration of this barking pandemic, the, um, the online classes, the commercial VO workout and the audiobook workout are donations only. So people donate, they don't donate, all are welcome, it matters not one bit. That's very so. cool.
0: Um, definitely difficult, challenging times to live through. So uh, that's that's very much appreciated in, by the community at large. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's we've reached some we've reached a lot of people, and it, it's it's been um, and it helped me too. You know, I just can't just sit here in my box with you know I've been doing this since 1995. And I just—I was like, "This pain shall not go wasted. <laughs> I
0: just
1: send it out into the world, and and maybe somebody can make use of it."
0: So that's great. That's great. Now I'm—I'm sure many have and many will. So uh, thanks for coming into the Speakeasy. I hope that the uh, Blue Moon beer was good.
1: It was lovely. I hope your cocktail. Are you done?
0: I'm almost done with it. The Dela Rosa is almost gone, and I will nice. say it's great. So it's—it's it's definitely an orange twist on a on a classic Manhattan, and I'm—I'm I'm a big fan. Even without Brilliant. the bada bing cherry.
2: <laughs> is that
1: really a thing? A Bata it bing? is.
0: No, it is. It's a it's a brand. And considering the ah. fact that I'm the biggest Sopranos fan in the world, you'd you'd think that I would have like a case of bada bing cherries on hand. But uh, like I said, I haven't had any cocktail cherries in a long time. So the next time I actually get into a store that carries them, I will definitely buy some. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rich. It's been a real treat.
0: No, my pleasure. Thank you, Krista. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Krista Lewis for stopping by. I really enjoyed hearing about her world travels and her approach to audiobook narration coaching, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. And remember to keep an eye out for Bill Lord's narration of David Stever's Raven Rain, book three in the Johnny Della Rosa thriller series coming in October. I've started listening to the first book in the series, Auburn Ride, and I'm really enjoying Bill's narration. I look forward to getting to know Johnny Della Rosa and seeing just what inspired Bill to come up with the Della Rosa cocktail, which was very good. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day... I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!